We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. And good evening to everybody tonight. Thank you for coming to our Bible study after our prayer meeting. Those of you that are online, thank you for participating that way. We're going to be in the second book of Luke, which is called Acts, in uh, chapter 8. Acts and chapter 8. We spent a couple of uh, sessions together on Wednesday nights looking at the uh, preaching of the Lord in Samaria, uh, Saul making havoc of the church as well, and then the sorcerer, we looked at that issue and the matter of uh, salvation and fruits of salvation, um, genuine uh, faith in Christ and so on. So we come now to Acts 8 and verse 26, and here Philip evangelizes the Ethiopian eunuch. This is a fascinating passage, and uh, the truth that I've drawn from this message tonight, God has also directed us. He has directed us to evangelize those that we encounter, and so that's our encouragement tonight for ourselves. God has directed us to evangelize those we encounter. In the book of Acts, Luke records accounts of key individuals being converted. Probably the most notable is Saul, or the apostle Paul as we know him, who was converted, but also you have uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, you have Cornelius in chapter 10. So actually, really, you have, you have the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8, you have several Samaritans in chapter 8, you have the, Ethiopi- or the, sorry, the Ethiopian in, in chapter 8, Saul in chapter 9, Cornelius in chapter 10, uh, and then, of course, you have the thousand, thousands of nameless individuals in the earlier part of the book. So it's all about conversion of some of these key people. The preacher in these accounts is often unknown. Uh, For example, it says that uh, people that were scattered about the persecution that was happening in Jerusalem, uh, they went about everywhere preaching the word. One of them was Philip, we believe, the first uh, of those, uh, or the deacons, and the first group of deacons uh, went down as well. Other, you know, time at times the account is very brief. Um, Acts eleven nineteen again it says those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled to these various places preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them uh, preached to the Hellenists, the Greek cultured Jewish people, and of course then moving on into the to the Gentiles. Uh, the great impact of some of these evangelistic encounters is not recorded for us, um, but Luke does give us a little more detail in this case, not so much about the impact in the future, but about the impact on one man. Philip was having a fruitful ministry in Samaria. That's where we were, the context in chapter 8. Preaching the word, multitudes heeded the things spoken by Philip. It seems that uh, there's a need for somebody to be there to start a church. Why would God call him away? Well, perhaps because there were others who could fill in the gap and uh, carry on with the Christian ministry with the other believers at the helm. 
in the leadership roles, but there was new territory and, in fact, an entire country that needed the gospel. And that country came to Jerusalem. Uh, just like many countries come to Ann Arbor, we can evangelize them through our connections here in town. Uh, this new country was Ethiopia, sometimes called Cush, I think, in the Bible, C-U-S-H or K-U-S-H by some. And so sometimes when God, uh, when, when the gospel is in one location, God calls that minister away to another location in order to spread the gospel to plant in new fields, and he's pleased to have other servants remain in those areas to stay in a location for a length of time, perhaps pastor a church for many, many years. Philip was not one of those. He was one who was going to be more of an itinerant evangelist, at least in this part of his ministry. Later on, we see him settled into another place. Uh, the Bible tells us in Acts 8.26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south. Listen to this, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. It's a wilderness area. And um, on, on the uh, way to Africa, we have this man who was just leaving Jerusalem within the last day or two, and he's on his way to Gaza. And uh, how Gaza today needs the work of another Philip, doesn't it? Yeah, so this is a very special occasion because an angel spoke to Philip. There are a few occasions in Acts where this happens. Acts 10 is another one. Acts 9 is another one. But on average throughout world history, if I could say it that way, this is so rare. This direct revelation is so rare as to be non-existent. You know, um, in the present age, God does not give special revelation to people, despite the stories you might have heard about people who have dreams about Jesus or uh, being called to a particular place. They might have thoughts about that, but I don't take those to be special revelation uh, at all. And if God is working on the heart of someone to be saved, he will also provide the needed revelation for that person to be saved. Okay, In the book of Acts, it's a very kind of... Um, you know, it's a Kickstarter kind of situation. You have to get things moving. And so there are some special occurrences. Today, God uses normal means. You know, how do people get the Bible in their language today? Well, we have to be diligent in our efforts to translate the Bible for them, distribute it to them, make sure it's accurate, help them plant churches, and just normal hard work, if you will. This, provide, or this, this happens providentially through the diligent efforts of individual believers and churches to give tracts, to share the gospel, to do Bible studies, to translate the Bible, to distribute the Bible, and so on. If God wishes for a person to evangelize a particular individual or place, he will see to it providentially that that person gets the thought and desire to go about meeting that need of the gospel. And if he's put it in the heart of somebody, as we've seen even recently in our own ministry, to seek him, because that's what has to happen. God has to put it in their hearts to seek him. Then they will come. They will find somehow. They'll, they'll, they'll get in contact with other believers and do something. God sees to that. So that's Philip. The other character here is the Ethiopian official or Ethiopian eunuch, as you may more commonly know him. And uh, he's in verse number 27. So Philip arose and went, 
And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, or Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come down to Jerusalem to worship, or had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading. Now this was a God-fearing man, someone who went to Jerusalem to worship from a long way away, hundreds of miles on I didn't look at the map to see, but uh, you can do that if you're interested sometime. Maybe some of you uh, folks that are learning about Africa just now, Josiah, might uh, go look up where this place is and how far away it is from Jerusalem. So you have to give me that report back next time, okay? All right. Uh, That's a young man, for those of you online, who uh, has now a homework assignment from the pastor uh, because he was just studying Africa today. Anyway, um, it doesn't seem that the uh, eunuch here, the Ethiopian, was a full convert to the Jewish faith because he likely could not do regular visits to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices there, but he did read the scriptures. Now this, listen to this, it says he was returning from Jerusalem to Ethiopia to his queen, Candace, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now did you notice anything about that phrase? He was reading Isaiah the prophet. You know, he just, he just had his little Bible out and he was just reading Isaiah the prophet. He didn't have a Bible. He had Isaiah the prophet. Maybe he had other portions of the scripture. You know, I never noticed this before. I just kind of read over. Like the key thing to me was, wow, he's reading Isaiah. And he's reading in Isaiah 53. Awesome. You know, wish everybody would start reading their Bible there and could ask the same questions he did. How did this guy get a copy of the Isaiah scroll to be reading Isaiah 53? you have any idea? I have no idea. You know how expensive that would be? You know how rare it was? Now, he was in charge of the queen's treasury, so he had access to wealth. And he maybe had uh, you know, contracted a scribe to write a copy of Isaiah's scroll for him or some other portion of the Bible, maybe the whole Old Testament as much as he could get his hands on. That would take months and months and months and years to produce a copy And here he is reading Isaiah the prophet. Maybe it was a little more common than we think, but uh, I just don't know, you know. That's an amazing thing. So once we get over that, you know, okay, well, somehow he got a copy of the Scriptures as hard as they were to acquire. He's having a Bible study in his chariot as he's going along the road. Obviously, you know, he's probably not reading the chariot and, 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 you know, doing the horses at the same time or whatever, so he's got somebody driving him. Uh, He's got officials, I mean, other officials with him, other attendants, ministers, servants. And so we've seen Philip, we've seen the Ethiopian eunuch. Now we're going to come to the Bible study in verse 28. He was reading Isaiah the prophet, and then down in verse number 30, um, well, I'll read 29 as well. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Okay, he didn't, you know, bite his fingernails and say, "Oh Lord, what am I going to say to this guy?" You know, um, he ran up to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. So the guy was reading it out loud, probably for his other people with him to hear what he was reading, and said, "Do you understand what you are reading?" And he said, "How can I unless someone guides me?" This just breaks your heart, you know. 
that Isaiah scroll wasn't a study Bible. It didn't have the MacArthur notes at the bottom, you know. This wasn't a King James study Bible that just, you know, popped out of the printing press. How can I unless someone guides me? Oh, my friends, we have so many people today, they'd open the Bible, they'd read it, they wouldn't have a clue because they have no context, they have no background, they have no literacy in the Bible. And so he's, he's expressing, in a, in a way, a little bit of hopelessness. I can't understand this. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Can you imagine the privilege of that? Come up here in my chariot and sit with me. However big that chariot was, you know, I don't know if it was a two-seater or a five-seater or what it was. Come up here and sit. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. For the, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So we've read 53, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, just like this man did, and we could profitably go back and read the entire chapter and see where he was reading moments before Philip arrived and where he would be reading moments after Philip helped him with these verses. But as far as application goes, first of all, you have to have the Bible. Start with the Bible. Get the Bible into people's hands. And oh, if they would just read it and ask questions like this. You know, Jansen and I would love to be swamped with phone calls and emails saying, what is the prophet speaking of himself or some other man? And, uh, you know, if we were swamped too much with those calls, guess what we'd do? Folks, we're going to have a Bible study on Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday morning, whenever, and we're going to go through this. You meet with us at this restaurant or this home, and we're going to talk about these things and get the Bible in those hands and see the questions that they have. Secondly, I wanted to point out, understanding is the key to reading. The official is concerned that he cannot understand unless someone guides him. How true that is. You know, he has the textbook, but he has no teacher. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have Philip. He doesn't have Paul. He doesn't have anybody. Uh, he's, He's literally the first Ethiopian, probably, who will have received the gospel. Now, it's possible there were some at the day of Pentecost, yes, I suppose, but this is a very special occasion, a special person. God had ordained that a human being would be the first teacher of this Ethiopian eunuch. So you have to go for understanding. You can't simply pass your eyes over the text. You have to read for understanding. If you can't understand it, stop, back up, read again, Go look for a resource. You know, how can, I, how, can I, how can I understand unless some man guides me? Okay, open a commentary, Bible, a study Bible note. Go to our, our website, look, see if I have a sermon on that subject, which I might likely, especially if it's in the New Testament, and uh, get some assistance in reading that. Now, the teaching or, or preaching in this case is evangelizing. When Philip opened his mouth, he began at that scripture and preached Christ to him. Now, this text doesn't tell us that you can do that just from any Old Testament passage. You know, it's, it's hard to get to 
naturally get quickly to Christ if you're talking about some king in the Old Testament in Second Chronicles or something like that. But in this case, there was no leap to get to Jesus. The very meaning of the text refers to the Messiah, the servant of God. Um, I think probably Philip moved backwards in the text in Isaiah, moved forward in the text in Isaiah, and then connected it to the events that had recently occurred with the Messiah on the uh, coming, preaching peace to the people, doing miracles, living for God, being killed on a cross and rising from the dead, and uh, certainly would have connected to those other verses after this in Isaiah 53, 9, 10, 11, and 12. And so this is this, this is a nice narrative. It's easy to understand. It's a blessing. Um, would you consider this application that most of us, in fact, as I look around this room, all of the adults here, with the training level that you have, and if you don't have it, say you're online and I don't know who you are because I can't see you, with some basic training could do the kind of thing that Philip has done here. You can offer to have a Bible reading and study time in your home or at work on the lunch hour or in your neighbor's home. If God is leading you to do that, have a Bible study with somebody, a sister-in-law, you know, a son, a daughter, and you would like some support, please ask me, please ask Jansen, huh, how delighted we would be to offer some kind of support of just prayer, pray with you, encourage you, offer you some a devotional or uh, study notes or, or anything. We can help prepare you, pray for you, etc. You don't have to be seminary trained. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. In fact, I don't recall that Philip went to seminary or that he had a Bible college degree or that there even was such a thing as a Bible college he just had the Spirit of God and the burden of God for the souls of men. You don't have to be a Christian for 25 years before you can do this. You can share what you know, and what you don't know you can find out if you don't know it already. You, know? um, you don't have to be able to answer every question. Uh, there's power in the phrase, I don't know, but I can find out. <laughs> Maybe you invite your adult son or your daughter or niece or nephew or coworker or new church attender for a meal and a Bible reading time. Ask them if they've read their Bible, if they have any questions about what they've been reading. Perhaps they're like the prophet. I mean, sorry, they're like the Ethiopian who spoke of the prophet and said, who does this man speak of himself or somebody else? How can I understand unless somebody guides me? A new, a new, new believer may have that feeling. But soon enough, after a few weeks and a few months of meeting together, guess what's going to happen? They're going to start understanding the Word of God. And I'm just here to say, you can do that. Oh, I haven't done that before, you say. Well, no time like the present to get started, huh? <laughs> yeah, if you don't get started, you're never going to get to it. So I encourage you to be like Philip here and open the Bible with somebody. It doesn't have to be profound you know, the Word of God itself is profound. What I mean is you don't have to, like, you know, spend 15 hours studying for your half-hour Bible study with somebody. If you don't have that kind of time, and I'm, I'm sure many of you do not, but uh, just on the knowledge that you have, uh, the little time that you spend ahead of time, if you're thinking about a passage, something you've read in your quiet time, your devotional time, maybe you share with that person, but uh, don't be afraid to get started, and you watch see what happens. When you plant the seed, you know, 
something might happen. <laughs> something might happen, and I'd love to see it with you. Well, this guy moves along quickly because uh, he doesn't take weeks and weeks of Bible study. We come down to verse number 36. As they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, it obviously shows two things. Number one, it shows what Philip was talking to him about. You know, Philip probably said, Look, we preached to all these people. Uh, we, I mean, Peter and, and all at, at, at Pentecost and the, the days and weeks after that. And what would happen is that the Spirit of God would come upon them. They were saved. They were born again, washed of their sins, cleansed, forgiven. And they made testimony of that by being baptized in water. So it tells you that Philip was teaching him about this very basic element of the Christian faith, but it also shows his desire of heart. He was already a God-fearer to begin with. Now the picture's complete. He sees the Messiah, the one whom he's been looking. He didn't know it, perhaps, but was looking for him all these years. And uh, he now knows who it is, what he's done for him, and he wants to be baptized to be um, connected with him. Now, just a pause, put that all on hold. I don't want you to lose that important thought as we just go to the side. Verse 37 uh, is not in some of your translations. Do you have a translation that doesn't have verse 37? You, you might say, oh, they miscounted. They went 36 and then 38. But there's a major transmission issue in the history of the text. New translations omit 37 because the text we call the Nestle Island and majority text, most of the majority text, omit the verse. So because of that, now this is a technical issue, but because... See, normally the Nestle Allen text or the, uh, the NU text, as they call it in, in your study notes there, and the majority text often are different from one another. There's a bit of a debate about which text is correct. In other words, which one represents the original manuscript uh, text. So that's not the case here. Almost certainly when these two bodies of, of, uh, of literature or two, uh, how can I say it, two... Uh, representative texts of the New Testament agree with one another, that is the text of Scripture. And the few manuscripts that don't have, that do have the verse, probably it was imported from something, something else. There is, it is in some Latin manuscripts and in some Western texts in the Western part of the Mediterranean. So again, it's a technical issue. But even so, even if you don't believe that 37 belongs in the text originally, what does it say that's wrong? I, I don't sense that it says anything wrong. What Philip is saying is, yes, nothing hinders you to be baptized except one thing, if you're not saved. <laughs> if you're not saved, you can't be baptized. So uh, it's telling us uh, quite something that is the truth. So Philip, being a biblical evangelist, would not baptize the official unless he thought, unless he thought his profession of faith was credible, that he had, in fact, professed faith. So this passage shows us, then, that a person believes in the Lord and then is baptized by immersion upon their profession of faith. How do we know it's for by immersion? And how do we know that it's for those that believe first? Well, because the order of the text is such that he believed first. Um, it's clearly not for people who do not profess faith. 
Baptism is not for people who do not profess faith. If they do profess faith, it is for them. It's commanded by Jesus. Now, the baptism itself, notice what it says in verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, again, this clearly implies the mode of baptism was immersion. There's a famous painting of Philip, an aged Philip with a big white beard, not quite as long as this brother's up here, but much more white, baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. And you know, there's, there's a few people standing around, I think a horse in the background, and you know how he's baptizing him? He's sprinkling a few drops of water on his head. I'm like, you know, the modern parlance would be, dude, don't you know that the text says that he went down into the water and came up out of the water? I mean, it's the, you know, don't believe everything that the artist draws for you, okay? It's, not, it's like the internet. You can't believe everything that you read there. Um, so sprinkling is obviously incorrect as pictured in this famous painting of the incident. It's completely unrealistic. So they baptized and when they came up out of the water. Um, now there was no church to observe this baptism because it was the first of its kind in, the, in this region with this person, a seed that was starting a new work. The usual case, though, is to baptize in conjunction with and in the presence of a local church. But I also would hasten to add that even though there was no church there, this was not a private baptism. You know, I'll, I'll go with the painting on this one. There were other people observing in the painting, you know, other, uh, other officials, other attendants, servants, ministers who were coming with this. You know, this guy just didn't, you know, just trot up to Jerusalem on his own. Uh, chariot driver and attendants and all because he was rich and he was a representative of the queen of a country, top, top level official. So he was a man of great authority, several people with him. And so he was witnessed in his baptism by these people. And I wonder what kind of an effect that had on them. My point here is to say that baptism should not occur privately and certainly they should be in the presence of a local church unless there is no church yet, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll grant that, that if that's the first person in, a, in the tribe, the first person on the mountain to be saved, baptized, then there's no church yet to, to do that. But the new person who's being baptized and the person baptizing him, say the missionary, well, they're two people. Two or three are gathered in my name. There I am with them, the Lord said, by way of principle. Well, in the aftermath, in verse 39 and 40, we have two things that happen. Philip leaves, first of all, and miraculously so. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. Now, Philip might have hoped that this was the rapture catching away, but it wasn't. He was caught away, and he was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Okay, uh, Azotus is the same as the Hebrew for the word Ashdod. Ashdod was another city in the Gaza region, which was, remember, one of those Philistine cities that we talked about from, uh, was it Zephaniah, where we were, uh, speaking about that? And uh, so another of the Philistine cities. And so he went there and he preached. That was 15 miles away, by the way. That's a quick way to travel 15 miles if the Spirit of God would just catch you up and take you there. Well, it seems incredible to an unbelieving reader, but it's no problem for the omnipotent God to move Philip along that way after being on this detour in the wilderness of Gaza. 
Now notice also verse 39 at the end, so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. The Ethiopian man experienced great joy. He was happy to have his sins forgiven, to have been baptized as a testimony to his belief, to have understood the passage that he was reading in the Bible. Nehemiah says this as well, because they understood the words of the Lord, they went out with great joy. There's nothing much better than that, friends. When you come to a point of understanding a text of Scripture and you say, aha, I've got it. That is a very happy time. But beyond that, much happiness occurred when he was saved and, uh, and, and, and as he should be. We watched the uh, video Essential Church uh, over the last two nights and uh, passed it on to this brother here, so he's got it. Um, excellent, excellent uh, video, how they wove, wove together history and the present and uh, showed uh, very fascinating uh, things. And it was nice that the outcome was good, <laughs> you know, very encouraging. But one of the little vignettes in that video was of a young man who said, my parents told me that I was never happy. When I got to know the Lord, they noticed a big change, and he had joy in his life. That's what we pray for each and every, each and every person. It seems highly likely that this Ethiopian official would have taken his joy and the news of the gospel with him and shared it with others, wouldn't it? Kind of be natural, tell the story. Uh, you know, and the office that he held may have given him a larger than average reach inside of his country. He had access to the top, top, top officials in that country. You know who else was happy? Philip certainly was. I can't tell you the... <laughs> I just wonder how, how joyful he must have been to see that man receive the Lord and be baptized all within the space of just maybe, I don't know, a few hours at most. Uh, amazing. You know who else was happy? The residents of heaven. There's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, the Lord Jesus said, Luke fifteen seven. 7. Uh, one that we're not as familiar with is in Isaiah 49. It says this, verse number 13, Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. There's joy right there. Now, in this case, we do not have a biblical record of the impact of Philip's evangelism of the Ethiopian official. What happened in Ethiopia after this? Well, we don't know in the immediate aftermath, but secular history starts to recognize Christianity in Ethiopia hundreds of years later, which when I just did a little very thin research on this, I found that, and I was a little disappointed that they didn't point back to this fellow and say that there were roots in Christianity there earlier on. But centuries after, it says in the uh, Wikipedia article on this, Christianity in Ethiopia is the country's largest religion with numbers making up 68% of the population. Christianity in Ethiopia dates back to the ancient kingdom of Aksum when the king Azana first adopted the faith in the 4th century AD, 300s. So this makes Ethiopia one of the first regions in the world to officially adopt Christianity. Various Christian denominations are now followed in the country. Of these, the largest and oldest is the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahedo Church, an Oriental Orthodox Church centered in Ethiopia. 
This church was part of the Coptic Orthodox Church until 1959, Coptic being Egyptian, when it was granted its own patriarch by Coptic Orthodox Pope of Alexandria and Patriarch of all Africa, Cyril, Cyril VI. So the Eastern Orthodox Church, as you might know, is what's called autocephalous, auto-headed. So each country has its own, basically, pope, bishop. So the Roman Catholic Church to the West, that's got one pope for the whole world. These churches have one head in each country. Okay. Now tradition tells us that the man's name, the Ethiopian man's name, was Simeon Bacchus, the eunuch. Simeon Bacchus. Now that's not important for our study, but it does remind us that we are reading about a real person here, a person with a real first and last name, a person who was saved by God's grace. Not, this is not just a character in a fictional story. So, as I conclude, I go back to the truth. God's directed us to evangelize those we encounter, so I encourage us, think about this passage just remove the miraculous and direct revelational elements. You know, God's not going to catch you up and take you 15 miles away. We don't believe. Uh, and he's not going to, you know, reveal directly to you, you know, you need to go to this address and, we're, and evangelize this person. You take those miraculous and direct revelation elements out and you have a story here that we should be replicating in our own lives. And I encourage that so that this church can grow and that God's grace can be spread abroad. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this passage of Scripture, which has challenged us in our responsibility to share the gospel with others and to be busy preparing ourselves for that task when it comes. Would you help us to do that here in this church, to be uh, little Phillips, giving the word of God to those that we have opportunity with. Please, Lord, we pray that in the next months we'll see people come to faith and we'll have a big challenge on our hands, <laughs> raising up a lot of young Christians. Oh, Lord, give us that problem and help us to meet the need. In Jesus' name, amen.